Hi, welcome to your space pod. I'm Misha. And I'm Gamu. And we are your hosts. Hey, Gamu. <laughs> hey, Misha. So, How are you? Yeah, no, I'm good. Um, I think, like, for the listeners, we had we had started debriefing about the conversation that we just had and the interview that we just had. So we just decided to press record as we were in the midst of, before we got any deeper into the conversation. So... <laughs> Yeah, because we we then found ourselves actually sharing what we would normally share at the beginning of the podcast. Um, the person that we've interviewed has been very open, as as usual. Um, it's just a different facet of going to the grassroots of coming from studying with the with the excitement of studying with the candle as opposed to studying with the lamp. Yeah, and. Yeah, and where he is now, I don't think he had any conceptualization of where he would end up, Mm. but he was just so engrossed in just being the best who he could be at that time, even if it was just studying with a candle. Yeah, and and also, like, I just feel like from from listening to the conversation and him explaining the journey, I think he got, like the key mm. principles down before any noise or anything came into the picture because essentially he was working in a in, yes. in a he was studying in a space where he had limited access to things he knew that he wasn't coming from the best um situation but he knew that he enjoyed the subject and he wanted to really pursue it and um get the most out of it and the only way that he could do that is adjust his thinking and not thinking about what he doesn't have, but thinking about the pencil that he had and that maybe he didn't have enough ink that would last that lesson. So he would have a pencil as a backup just in case. Like I've never had to consider how much ink is in my pen for my notes in class. Like that's Mm -hmm. never been something that I've thought about. And it's really like eye opening to think about where he's come from the journey that he's been through because it wasn't an easy journey uh, from what I'm hearing, but he doesn't make it seem like it was like the worst thing in the world. Um, but he's managed to create a career for himself and um, really identify like what he can bring to um, the table. Yes. Um, and I'm excited for more people to hear this story. Very inspiring. Um, so we just hope you guys will also be inspired too. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. I'm sure you missed us. Um, We missed you and we had to come back with a bang. Today we are with Dr. Robert Carbo, who is a project manager at the Usano Institute. He's also an author and a leadership coach for young people and managers. Um, So welcome, Robert. Thank you. So um, as usual, to start us off, we would like to know what the start of your journey has been. Um, you now have a PhD in chemistry and a lot of things have happened in between. What helped you to dedicate yourself to this journey in chemistry and pharmaceuticals? How did this journey begin and what actually inspired you to go to the sciences route? Thank you very much. And I really appreciate you uh, giving me this opportunity to 
appear to your podcast and I'm pretty sure your audience are also excited to listen to what we have to say. So um, the Yusuna Institute, I'm there as a project manager. I've been um, in this position for about um, three plus years and it's really uh, an position that intertwines so many other of uh, so many aspects of what we are doing in terms of drug discovery. We are in phase two clinical trials for major depressive disorder. But I am here and speaking not on behalf of Yusona as an but as an individual, you know, who is just sharing his own experience, sharing my own, own experience. So what really got yes. me into into chemistry and science. Um, was really uh, just a natural intuition in me because I was doing back in my high school days, I was doing, um, you know, agriculture, you know, um, some other things that were not really interested in intertwined with science, like shorthand. But I just felt it to be so easy. You know, it's like, this is too easy. Let me just go back and look at the more the sciences that are more difficult. So I took in physics and, and, and chemistry and others. I had no idea what I was doing at the time. It was just, you know, just an intuition. And I didn't speak to anyone. I, I just, you know, thought I should do that. And since then, um, that journey has been un unbelievable because what I really have re recognized is no matter how abstract science may look like, but really it detects what, what happens in our day-to-day -day interactions, how I live my life, how I interact with other people, how people respond to me. They are all intertwined with, a, with, with, with the scientific evidence and scientific things that are happening in my life. It's interesting that you mentioned the issue of interactions on a day-to-day -day basis. I've never thought of it that way, but at this time, <laughs> within the last two years, there's definitely been proof of that because how we interact is largely dependent on what how the data has dictated that we cannot or should lessen the transfer of COVID between us. <laughs> so that has, in the more literal sense, that has really affected our day-to-day -day interactions. Um, and you said you were looking for a challenge. So you said you were finding the other things too easy. Did you find that challenge that you were looking for? I, I, I indeed found it. In fact, with, with um, physics at the time, uh, we didn't have a lot of um, equipment back in those days in Africa. So it was really more difficult to do physics. This was very theoretical. Even though I really love the theoretical aspect of it because I will look at, study the laws in physics, and then I will apply that every day in my own ordinary lives, I will use strings and, and uh, water, you know, to, to really uh, look at the laws from a very practical purpose in my own interactions. Um, with chemistry, we had some equipment, so that was a much more enticing um, uh, situation to, to really dive myself deeper into. So I could have gone with, with physics if I had all the equipment that I needed at the time. So yes, indeed, I, oh. I found that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's the case with a lot of, um, I find people who do STEM courses um, in Africa in high school, is an, there's always that issue of equipment 
Um, I know of of one personal story, one of my relatives at the school that he went to, he actually had to self, he had to teach himself chemistry because there was no equipment and there were no teachers that wanted to do so at the high school, but he managed to succeed. I'd be interested to know, what do you think um, we can do more of in Africa I won't even, I was going to ask you more about scientific developments, but I think at grassroots level to actually educate more young people in sciences, how do you think we can get more young people on board? So I have, the way I've described it, um, it may have looked so easy. Um, so I just want to step back and say, it, you know, the, the, the number one thing <laughs> for me that was really pivotal was was to recognize that during my own difficulties, yes, I didn't have equipment. I didn't have, sometimes I didn't even have a notebook. Um, I remember some, in some instances, I would look at my pen and say, what's the level of ink that is there? Is this gonna serve me today? So mm-hmm. I will back that up with pencil uh, just to make sure that I'm able to take notes. Um, so one thing that is really important, is not about what I don't have, if I look at what I don't have, I'm going to be so discouraged. And I remember, at, you know, growing up, I really didn't have there was a lot of things I, I had. No, I didn't have. But I had to say, you know, what do I have? I have, I can think, you know, I can go to class, I think, um, and then listen to the to the lectures, even though I may not have the textbook. So w- one thing that I began to do was to look inside myself and I will go in every day and try to reflect on all of the interactions I had, the notes that I was able to take, the notes I wasn't able to take, and then think over that. And then began to apply that in in my own social interactions you know if i'm talking with someone i'll try to remember the laws and how that speaking to that individual how the law is applicable to that to that situation Mm -hmm. if let's say i'm taking water i will i will try to imagine you know the buoyancy you know how why ship floats there's a law you know that really deals with that buoyancy i to remember that even as i'm fetching the water in my own mind, even without talking with anyone, I would constantly be reflecting. And then also I began to also notice that the way I talk to people, the way I, I whether I'm respectful or not respectful, I began to note all of that and how people were responding to me. So there were a lot of things that I began to correlate and began to pick up. And, and one once I was able to align myself with that, I began to see that a lot of things that I have that I'm paying attention to right now, if I wasn't doing that, I would have been focusing on others, what they mm-hmm. had. They had textbook. They had things that I didn't have. And surprisingly, I was doing better in class than them. And I did not even recognize it at the time. You know, I was doing much more better than them. And so that is really the key. And what really drives my focus in that was just to recognize that why will I be in this earth, in this universe, and be abandoned 
without any direction. There mm. must be a direction in my life. There must be some kind of thing that can guide me if I only pay attention to it and then stop all of the distraction that may come my way. Mm. So that may not be enough. Obviously, the outside, we obviously need the help. We obviously need the equipment. And so it's just a matter of recognizing people that could be of help, people that may not be um, in a position to also misuse my own, my own need that I have. So there are some, some people that may guide you in the wrong direction. So I have to be watchful of that. Um, going into situations that are dead end, you know, situation. They at first appear to be uh, helpful and we only to re recognize that um, they are not helpful at all. So we can go into specific later. But that is, that is just to, to step back and say, look, it started with me noting what I may have, what I may not have. It's really mm -hmm. important because that begins to define what, you know, what success looks like you know, what failure looks like, because we might have so much um, successes, but depending on how we focus on that definition, it could mean a, a huge difference. It could make yeah, a, and big, I think, a huge difference. And I think you are the only person who can define what success is for yourself, because what you, something that you deem successful may not be success in somebody else's eyes. Agreed. Um, yes, I could give an example of that actually in my career a decade yeah, or so ago um, with doing chemistry in the lab. You know, chemistry is really challenging. Even with all of the equipment you have, you have to think on um, outside the box in a lot of instances. So I, I was going through difficulties and uh, challenges at the time. I was setting so many reactions because there was a, a structure I needed to make, but I was having so much failure in it. And each day I would go back very frustrated. But one time just being in the hood and said, you know what, um, why will I be so frustrated every time and be so disappointed? Why don't I define my own success as to what, what really um, is success in chemistry. So I came up with like a couple of, of uh, criteria. So one criteria was um, I needed to understand why the reaction failed, at least to come up with any kind of idea, as long as I'm able to, to, to know, have a high level answer as to why this reaction failed. That's one thing. And that will obviously um, allow me to go and check in the literature, look at similar reaction to understand why mine may have failed. So I noted that. The second thing I asked myself, did I, did, it, did I do it safely? You know, you know chemistry is so important that uh, we do it safely. If not, I may not last in, the career, in my career. So mm -hmm. those two questions, if I was able to answer them, then that very day, even though physically, yes, it may have failed, I can't, I said it's success. Mm -hmm. So I began to do that. And the whole, my whole perspective on science changed completely. Because what mm -hmm. that does is if I have already defined that this is success for me today, it clears my mind. You know, I'm not frustrated with myself. You know, I use that and then try to see, did I come up with a reason? and then research on that reason very quickly. 
And then the next day or the following day, I'm better prepared to do something different and come up with um, ways that uh, may help the, the, the challenge that I had previously. So, so there was a lot of um, learnings I was able to pick up very quickly with time. Those failure rates began to decrease. And I, and I think that's good because essentially you're not worrying about failing and or the lack of being able to succeed in that um, piece of work that you're doing. But it's just that as long as you know the reason why, then I think that helps. And I, and I think even just in life, you could essentially do that and say, OK, what what defines a successful day for me? Is it achieving everything on my to do list or maybe the top most important things? I think is definitely important. Agreed. Yep. Uh, I'm enjoying how you are taking the science and not making it so abstract and applying it to just daily living. And that's something that I think we are not taught enough in terms of the subjects that we do, especially in an African context where our education systems are uh, almost always borrowed. Um, you seldom have examples that are tangible or that you can understand in your everyday living. So I think that is critical if we're going to get more young people in STEM. We need relatable examples. So I'm quite appreciative of that. May I just comment on that? Because really what you said is big, is really huge. Um, that is one of the reasons for me really to appear in this podcast, because there's so much wealth of knowledge and power that we have, but we are not able to translate that into what is happening in our day-to-day -day interactions. Because um, those, those, those lessons that I had uh, learned in Africa over 30 years ago, interestingly, they are still applicable up, to, um, up till now, as even as I speak. These very principles, that's what I'm using, and, and that have really taken me from one uh, stage in my career to the next. Is the, those principles haven't changed. It's the same, same principles um, that are applicable here. And, and I was so really surprised, like people want to learn that in principle from me, even in the developed world. It's like, wow, these are principles I got from Africa and you still, you've, you've advanced so much and yet you are here picking it from me. It's like, wow. You know, I was very shocked uh, at starting point until I began to realize, oh, <laughs> if something is, is, is a universal principle, then it should work everywhere. And so I just continue to apply it. And, and that has made a huge difference. Yes, uh, our interactions in our day-to-day -day life may look complex, may look abstract, but no, it's scientifically based. It's, you know, we, we, there's no doubt about it. Um, and we just need to apply the, the, the abstract science to what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, once we begin to see the practicality of, the practicality of it, then we will do it more often. Yeah. You know. And can you speak to, so I, I'm kind of in a very blessed position. I say that I come from the best of both worlds. So my dad is African and my mom is British uh, and I've actually lived and been in school in both locations. So I lived in Zimbabwe. I went to school in Zimbabwe. I did my um, 
junior school and um, secondary school in Zimbabwe and the other half of the secondary school and onwards in England. So I feel like I kind of have a vast experience on both sides um, and to see the differences. Can you, like you mentioned about um, bringing um, some of the principles that you learned while you're in Africa and bringing them into the Western world. Um, can you explain like a bit more about how similar they are or how dissimilar they are in your eyes? They, they, they are very different, obviously, as we all may have experienced, because the cultural, you know, background, things that we had picked up as a child, um, principles, things that we are taught, uh, our own atmosphere and scenario. Um, obviously, with the Western culture, all of the de development that have taken place, uh, there is it's a huge shift. But fundamentally, fundamentally, that's the key that I'm trying to get at. Fundamentally, we are whole humans. We respond to our external stimuli. We respond to what we see. So if in my own mind, it's so clear as to how I, I see, how I perceive us, how I am able to interact with them from a point of just respecting them as a human being for who they are, they may not be perfect. I don't look for perfection because I am not perfect. So just looking at it from that principle that they also want to succeed just as I also want to succeed. But there are a lot of times we may not see things the same. We may see things differently. But always looking at that baseline, fundamentally, we are humans. That there is something in them or in me that connects us. It's so it's a perfect connection. If I look for that, look for that fundamental ground, a lot of the time things began begins to shift. It begins to shift in a very powerful way. And remember, our communication is just, you know, the way we communicate, like I'm talking with you, obviously a vast amount of data that is being transmitted. Um, outside just the communication, uh, just from speaking. There are other non-verbal communication. And so people can pick those signals, you know, um, that, that we transmit. So it, obviously it's very different, but fundamentally the core really is like we are all humans. Yeah, no, that's true. And then, so how, how did you find moving from Sierra Leone to, to the USA? It, it was really a, a very huge a cultural shift. Um, so I left Africa in 1999 and, and went straight to North Dakota, which was really very cold. Cold? <laughs> well, I, when so you that, said North Dakota, all I saw was snow in my head. <laughs> absolutely. It's snowy, it's, it's cold. Um, but, you know, um, it's just unbelievable um, how incredible our you know, physiological system are in terms of adaptation. You know, if if you you are given the opportunity um, and then you put your mind to what you the, to the situation that you have been exposed to, there are ways we could adapt. And um, if we take the challenge in in strive and just look for the opportunities that are around us, um, obviously we we get adapt. We, uh, adaptation to the to the to the environment or a new 
new environment really becomes much more interesting compared to it being, you know, um, very like a downer. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently so going what... through the same thing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I really struggle being in England. <laughs> <laughs> so I've changed my mindset and be like, no, I'm enjoying what I have. <laughs> Even without the sun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carry on. Sorry, come. So what what made you move to the States? What was the catalyst? And when you arrived there, was it did you were you fortunate enough to go straight into the industry that you wanted to? Or was there uh, a bit of a detour there. Wow, you ask questions that are really very uh, intriguing and very interesting because why I came to this state, um, you know, Sierra Leone back then was in civil war. You know, you, I don't know if you may have seen the, the movie Blood Diamonds. Um, yeah. I could tell you yes. in that movie where I was at the time. And so we had to flee uh, Freetown in 1997. Um, like an instant, instant, you know, we knew the rebels were coming into the capital and I was so panicky and afraid because back then I was lecturing. And so what they were looking for were people that were educated. And so they will, will, they will take those in to be part of them. And people that refused, they would, they would, you know, excuse me, they would just chop their hands off. So we're really terrified about that. So when we heard that they were very close, we had to flee went to Guinea. So I was there in Guinea. So again, situations completely 180 degrees. Um, uh, I was going to register for an ID card because um, it's a French speaking. I, I had I did not know French at the time. And so if you are stopped, uh, you could be, you know, harassed if, if you know, you don't have an ID. You know, so I went to do this situation and we were so we are many of us, you know, like all fighting to be in, in, in front. And then one myself and one of my cousins said, you know, why are we just creating so much chaos? Why don't we make a line so this the, the people can can register us? Mm. So we did that and we made a line. And so I unknowing to us, one of the ex- expatriates that was watching very closely what was happening came and spoke to me and he said oh I saw you you know um, helping people to be in line and registered I said yes he recognized oh I spoke English he said oh okay then I give you a job so that's how I I had a job at that time And then I began to register people. And then there was a center I was also managing. So it was doing that managing that center where writing cases for people to be um, sent abroad. I, you know, US, Canada, Australia. So they were being sent in overseas as a refugees, as a refugee. Now, one, there was a time when um, I needed a ride to go to our headquarters. And then a different expatriate, I don't remember his name anymore, said, oh, do you need a ride? I said, sure. Um, so I went into his vehicle, sitting in this vehicle, you know, I was admiring, wow, this is just an interest. <laughs> this huge and nice fancy car. And, uh, car. So whilst we are driving along the way, he said, you know, Robert, 
you've been doing very good job. You've been writing cases for people. You know, uh, we're so impressed as what you're doing. He said, but um, do you also have a story at all? Oh, for me, so I was like, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do Actually. have a story. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Because <laughs> then I try to remember, so oh, I also have so much problems that I, you know, my family are there. I have no idea where I could what I could do, but just doing what I'm doing, just helping people because that's what I was exposed to. Mm. And then I gave him a, 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 my background, you know, how I was a professor and teaching and, you know, being in, in where we are, obviously we are uh, really very frightened and, and in, in fear of our lives. He took down my story and then he said, you know what, we're going to send you to the United States. We're just going to send you. You can't. We can't allow you to be here. You need protection, you and your family. So that's how I I, I was got uh, uh, I was uh, um, sent to to the US and with my whole family and extended family as well. Very interesting. So when I came in, obviously I did not go to my field. Um, I had to do uh, odd jobs for sure. I was working in, in an industry, a glass factory industry. Uh, it was really very difficult. Uh, it was so manual. Um, but I was able to endure that for about a couple of years. Um, and then I say, you know what? I needed to go back to school. Um, I knew I was going to lose um, income for sure. I was paid well. In fact, um, the management at the time had identified me as one of the one of those people that could be in the, the leadership position in the company. So I was being really looked at very, very well. But I had to, to say it within myself, I needed to go back. Yes, I'm going to lose um, income. It's going to be challenging. Um, so I did that after two years. And I also um, became a manager in my apartment, you know, where I had a, a number of uh, apartment in our building. So I was taking care of that. That means in the evening I will I will clean and you know the the outside and then do you know uh the clear the, the snow or or, or or grass and I was paid for that um in doing that. And I continue to do that even when I was in school to to uh augment my stipend that I was having. Mm. So what did you go and study? Then I went to, to oh, this is another intriguing question. So I told, I went to uh, the dean that time. I said, I, I need to have, I want to, I want to do a graduate study. I want to do a PhD in chemistry. So the, the dean told me, yes, you, you, you want to, yeah, obviously what, what you can do, given that you, your, your certificate, you had it from Africa, we will have to verify your certificates. So he gave me like three option, options. He said, number one, we, we can do the verification process, which may take a little while. And then the second option was that you could take challenge exam, you know, um, in the university. And then the third option was just to do a high level undergraduate classes in chemistry. In my mind, just sitting there, it's like, whoa, all of these options are really <laughs> not easy ones. I have left, you know, teaching or, or mm. you know, school for a while. I've been in refugee. Obviously, you're thinking of survival. So books or chemistry wasn't something you were, I was thinking about. 
as a challenge exam mm. would be really hard. I would I may not succeed in challenge exam. So I took took the other option of taking an undergrad classes in chemistry. So I took two semesters in chemistry, advanced level. By the time really I finished the second semester, they were looking for me everywhere to join the, the grad school. <laughs> <laughs> you just needed a little push. <laughs> yes. A, a little, um, what's it called? Um, oiling to get your brain working again. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it all goes to that fundamental principles that I tell, told you about, that science is me, is, is in me. You know, you, you, we take it as part of us, then it, even though it may, seems it may have gone, it just, that oiling, as you indicated, just bring back all of those things that I was doing practically in my own day-to-day life, applying the science in my practical interactions and, and day-to-day. So it all came back and came back in a, in a way that was really uh, fear, um, forceful and more powerful because now I can, I have, I'm exposed to, to not only books, but exposed to equipment that I didn't have at the time. So it's, it's really connected very well. And how did you deal with um, having to one, essentially, obviously you're in survival mode as well, but you've come from being a professor, you've done the education aspect of things and you basically started in your career how did you deal with having to essentially go what may feel like on the outside looking in is essentially taking a couple of steps back to then take a leap forward how did you how did you deal with not feeling disheartened about the fact that oh but I did my education like I've somewhat proved myself already and you're asking me to prove myself again how did you deal with that very very good question the the fundamental thing for me is always is what I have, what I, and not what I do not have. You know, I don't have the opportunity of people recognizing me at the time because they had no idea who I was. So uh, trying to defend myself, it's a dead end. It's not, it's just going and look inside. What do I now? I have this opportunity of taking this advanced level class. I just focus on that, do the best I could. And then let other things, um, let, let, let things uh, find its, it's its way. I can't force people to to recognize me. I can't force people to accept me. I cannot. You know, I, they are independently you know, minded. They are human, human beings on their own. But if I am focused, if I focus on what I can do, you know, that may help. You know, change the perspective. It's going to ch- help change the atmosphere. So um, it's 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 something that I don't try to to really fast because uh, I've tried it many times. It doesn't work. People may have their own opinion. And I, there's, 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 there's something that is so diff- fundamentally diff- difficult to do. That is to change your own fellow human being. Very, very difficult. But what I can do is, you know, should that I, I, I am at my best and use that to influence the way they think or the way um, uh, the, the, the difficult, the negative perspective they may have or the doubt they may have, uh, that, that will change with time. It's, it, it, it's just a matter of, you know, me focusing on, on what I'm doing and, and, and what I have to do. Okay. Um, so they were now looking for you. You've managed to, to 
to get in and be accepted in the university? You get your you uh, did you go straight in to do your PhD? And what was that um, experience like comparing to where you had come from? You had studied in Sierra Leone under more difficult conditions. What are okay? So my question is is two pronged. What are some of the fundamental differences in the way the education system works in the two different countries? And how was the the PhD experience? Um, yes, the, the, the system obviously fundamentally are fundamentally different. So back in Africa, obviously lack of equipment and there's so much theory here, there was this equipment that you have but at the same time, you have to do your own path. So now you are overwhelmed with the system, with so many. <laughs> so, so you're coming from lack of it, and now you're overwhelmed with so many books, so many aspects of it. So how do you step back and say, okay, um, where, where are areas I need to focus on? What are things mm -hmm. that I need to pay attention to? Yes, I have these books, I have the equipment, but at the same time, there's a lot of distractions also that I have, that I have to contend with. There's, there's so much um, invitation that is going to be out there for me to attend one thing or the other. So I, I have to balance all of that. Sometimes it's not easy. There's so much peer pressure, you know, in, you know, you can't just be studying, studying and not find time to either attend to your family needs or attend to your friends. So I have to walk that fine line and be able to, 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 to create boundaries. You know, if it's hard to do with my education, I had to do with um, um, exams. It's like, look, um, this is the only opportunity I have to take this. If I don't do well, um, obviously I may not have that opportunity again. So finding those boundaries and balances, we are really, really essential because if I hadn't found out, then I would have easily been um, been distracted in, in what I'm doing. So um, back in Africa, of course, there were also different type of distractions. Um, that is lack of either food or basic amenities. Um, some and in, in a lot of the time there was lack of electricity, so I had to use like a lamp and and a candle. If I have candle, literally those were my exciting times. Like, oh, it doesn't burn so so much soot. You know, the the, the lamp there's so much uh, <laughs> soot in that. <laughs> so um, yes, it's 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 different, and um, yeah, no matter how different I may have. Um, experience it, I, I, I think still applying myself was the key in those two different scenarios. Okay, and uh, the PhD, how was um, the study of the PhD and how has that opened the doors to where you are now in your career? So I, I'm so grateful to my uh, professor, uh, Dr. Gregory Cook, who told me at the time, I think that I was tempted to do master's at first. He said, no, don't do master's, just go straight in for PhD. You are better off doing PhD. 
And I was, I'm happy that I did that because during the course of PhD, I had so uh, scholarships actually, you know, I was um, um, fortunate to, to have those recognition. So that really opened up the door for me to get into industry. Um, if I hadn't done my PhD at the time, that would have been a little challenging because I remember in 2008 when we had the uh, downturn in the economy, there was so much uh, problems out there. Um, but my background was really strong, so I was hired um, very quickly. And so I didn't do a postdoc, even though I've had made so much and uh, so many applications and people really wanted me to go into their uh, schools. But I decided to go for industry direct. Um, and I was I'm so happy that I did that because afterwards in 2008, 2009 and 10, there was so much uh, layoff that was happening. There was, there was so much crisis. So if I was doing a postdoc at the time, getting a job would have been really very difficult. Some people were had to do like two or three postdocs because they were not getting a job. But because I was already in the in the, in the industry, I was just uh, continue to to grow in it. Okay, uh, so it was a fairly straight journey um, from the PhD at least. I'm curious to understand whether that period that uh, Misha also spoke to that you felt like you were being taken back but I'm sure there were some skills gained at that point that have helped you now and excel to the level that you have. If you could name maybe two things that you learned at that time when you were now take when you were in the refugee camp and you were then given the job before you moved to the United States, are there any two things that you feel have made you who you are today? Well, yes, a couple of things that comes to mind is um, to be myself. You know, it's so, so important. Um, don't try to be someone who I am not, because that's with time, I may not be able to sustain that. But um, be myself and focus on improving what I need to improve in my life, recognizing that the help that I needed might not come from me. It's going to come from someone else. And how I interact with people is so, so vital. No matter what, how much knowledge I have, if I don't find a way to interact with people and make them feel comfortable, that becomes a problem. It really becomes a problem. And I've seen that really works tremendously in a way that is so beneficial in my own career, because I deal with people that may not have PhDs. I deal with people that feel uncomfortable, but how do I make them feel comfortable even though, even with all the knowledge that I have? You know, I have to see them as a human being, just as myself, wanting to succeed in life, that they may also have the same struggles that I am having, but in a different way, in a different scenario, no matter who they are, even no matter how, rich they may be, they also have struggles. 
when I interact with them, am I able to recognize that? Am I able to make them feel that, yes, um, I am listening to them, I'm paying attention to them, and I, I, I really just want to have that conversation in a way that leave them um, better than where I met them or leave them the same way that I met them and not the other way around. Wow, that's, I think, an important lesson to, to have because sometimes we get lost in the titles and the achievements um, that we forget about having the fundamental values in just how we interact with people um, on a daily basis. So that is a very important lesson that I think we need to keep reinforcing. Um, so I think it would flow nicely if we could also understand what you've observed, because you've also trained and educated other young scientists and young people generally. What kind of mistakes do you see young people making that may hinder their, their success, whatever that looks like in their mind? What are some of those key mistakes? Yes. Um, so we may have touched on some of those key mistakes that I see a lot, young, a lot of young people really do. So with the advancement in science and technology and with so much information out there. So as a young individual, we might be up to date with the most advanced knowledge of technology. The thing that we've, they may fail to recognize is all of that advancement, if you cannot communicate and interact with your fellow human being, that becomes a problem because that interpersonal relationship does matter. I've seen people who are really very bright and uh, really you can say, yeah, they have so much uh, prospect in them, um, just become very discouraged because they are not able to have that kind of communications either with their uh, supervisors or with their fellow colleagues. Um, they are just not able to um, see the other side of the coin. Um, recognizing that the world is so complex. Yes, I may have all of this theory in my mind, um, all of this abstract knowledge. At the end of the day, I have to translate that in a way that is relatable, in a way that people can, can really um, digest, make it digestible to them. So these are things that a lot of young people struggle so the other thing too that I also may have noticed is um, um, there is, there is the, the tendency of just copying. You know, you see, I see someone uh, flourishing in this career and said, oh yeah, I'm going to have to also go in and do that career without going back and checking with themselves and see what is it in, 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 that, that is coming out naturally in them, you know, focusing on another career and focusing on what someone else is doing because they are prospering in it and trying to do that uh, may not turn out, may, may, may turn out to be disappointing. And so situation might change. Um, 
and the, the, the atmosphere or the economy might change. And you might not be as lucky as the, that other individual who, who, whose career you've seen as an example and then just, just, just copying uh, their own intentions and, and things that they like to do. So those are a couple of things that I think uh, 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 young people have seen made over and over. Um, I don't know if that answers your question completely. It does. It really does. Um, and I think it, it works well with what we're trying to do here, which is expose young people as much as possible. Um, but you hit a very important point in saying that we need to be authentic in whatever we do decide to do. So just because I'm listening today um, on Young Space, on Young, sorry, on Your Space Africa, forgive me, um, and I hear that there's somebody that's got a, a doctorate in chemistry that I must immediately and just get the doctorate and I hope for the same results. That's not how life works. So I think you've really hit the nail on the head there in terms of asking people to do that introspection and be authentic in whatever it is that they choose to do, um, despite actually having that exposure. Let's take that exposure and then contextualize it to your own situation, your own desires and your own wants. So definitely you have um, responded quite well to that question and given me something to think about I'm not sure Misha how you're feeling yeah no as as you were talking I was uh, recollecting um the interview that you did with Dr Francis and you were talking about your book and I think one of the key things that I took away from that was um you spoke about knowing who you are and identifying what your purpose is and allowing that to navigate the direction that you go um, that's what I took away from it. And I think your response in terms of like the noise and being able to, yes, you might have everything that you need and above that, but you need to whittle down the noise and essentially identify, okay, what's relevant to you? What do you need? How are you going to take it forward? And what is your purpose here really? Because not only in the workplace, because it, I think, as you said in that interview, like it, it cross contaminates, um, but just in general in life, because, um, it's important to really recognize. And then it's, it then goes to touch on what you said earlier about what success a successful day looks like to you. So if you know who you are and you've got your why and you know what a successful day looks like, it's only going to get better. And I think by when you mentioned about the mistakes about copying, I think that element, because what you find is you then think, oh, someone succeeded in going route A. Let me go route A because that looks like the successful route. But inside you, that's not where you want to go or the direction that that is basically your purpose. And you then get go off and do what, what journey A does. And then 10 years later, you're like, um, yeah, I'm not happy. This is not <laughs> this is not cutting it for me. And and I think um, it's really important that you say that. And I, I'm really curious to understand, like, what inspired you to do the book? Did you had you started um, doing your leadership um, programs and then decided to go into the book or was leadership something that you really identified within yourself that you had because obviously you went from obviously being quite um you came from being a professor you've gone through survival mode even during that time even during school and I think also um 
there's like a cultural aspect to it when you then move to another region and life is completely different and you're not, you're still having to survive, but it's a different type of survival. And then being a manager of your apartment block, I think that also shows that you've obviously, and even in the interactions that you had while in the refugee camp, that shows a level of um, leadership that you had to be able to basically manage those situations quite easily. I'm really curious to like, what at what point did you say leadership is something that I want to delve deeper in and teach or help others to be able to uh, broaden and um, be better at? Excellent. Uh, thank you for that question. Leadership in, for me, um, people began to recognize that I have these leadership qualities and I'm asking them, it's like, what are you really recognizing? It's like, <laughs> I am, it's like, are you missing me that you're talking about? It's like, what are these people saying? Because, you know, I, you know, you just had summarized what I talked about being authentic for me. It's like, I'm just doing what I'm doing. I, I'm just, mm. you know, <laughs> treating people as people, just recognizing that they are human beings. <laughs> A bit of empathy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and try to empathize with them and also mm. empathize with my leaders, recognizing that uh, leaders are also struggling, that sometimes uh, they may not give me a clear direction, but I should try to meet them halfway. You know, if I said I need to understand everything, then that becomes a problem. And so um, people, we are just putting me in this position. I remember the first time really I began to um, uh, direct two groups of teams of, of chemists. You know, they told me that I will become leader in, in this team. My, my, my boy, my feet was shaking. It's like, <laughs> now I'm gonna be in big trouble. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm now in the, in the cultural scenario that is different. How am I going to lead these people? These people have been doing this thing all throughout their life, and I'm here as coming from Africa. What am I going to teach them? What am I? Gonna, what is it that they? Oh, I was so afraid, <laughs> but obviously I did not say I'm not going to uh, take. I did not say I shouldn't take the position. I just step up and said, okay. I'm going to take this challenge. But you know what? There's just all this fundamental principle that I told you. If I can uh-huh. treat them and look at them as my fellow human being who really wants to succeed in life, and then just be plain, just tell them what I know, tell them what I don't know, try to help them. And just take it from that fundamental um, principle. Even though I was a minority and everyone else around me was different, they started responding in a ways that was unbelievable. It was like, wow, is it me that these people are responding to? So um, it's it's so so important that uh, we are able to have that that uh, that connection. And um, I have seen that uh, leadership is something that might be in us and we may not recognize it. Other people recognize it because, you know, obviously we're afraid um, that, yes, we don't know so much and the people know much better than us. But being a leader doesn't mean that you need to have all of the knowledge. Um, in fact, I've learned so much in leadership position from others because I just think that everyone may have something to offer. I just need to look for it. I just need to identify it. So the more I look for mm-hmm. that, the more I'm able to learn, the more I'm able to, to pick 
um, cells that are, are coming along my way. So what is it that you think that then people are missing out? What do you think that, okay, you've got this thing that your principle that you use. Um, so what do you think it is that prevents people from getting along as you have managed to or managed to lead them as you have managed to? Is it directly the opposite? Or do you think there's some other things that we're not getting right as a society? Oh, yeah. Obviously, there are things that we, <laughs> the scientific evidence is there, but we're just ignoring it and doing our own thing. Let's just take empathy, for example. We empathize when there are difficulties, when there are challenges, you know, like say uh, someone gets hot, you know, we come in and empathize with them. Now, from everything that I know in science, we know repetition is the key. You know, you can't study uh, one subject without you going in and repeat in, you know, the, the, the principles or an athletic will need to practice over and over and over. We know that. But when it comes to empathy, we just do it once in a while. It's like, how is how are we going to really be mastered at empathy? If that's the case, that's the way we're going to approach it. It, it's, it doesn't work. And that's why a lot of social problems never are never solved because we are not addressing them the way they're supposed to. Is uh, I only have empathy when there is a problem. When there is no problem, no empathy. Okay, how is that going to stick? How is, <laughs> there's nothing in science that tells me that is just going to work out the, uh, automatically. So this, this principle of applying, you know, the, 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 the soft, we call them soft skills. I don't think there is any soft skills is not true because they are all hard skills. If we recognize that they are all hard skills and they need practice, we need to really be purposeful in, in these skills and, and practice them then we become good at them rather than doing it the other way. And then the soft skill, we put it aside, but we take the hard skill and study and make sure we are, uh, uh, you know, um, um, uh, uh, align with all of the, 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 the knowledge and principles that are there, but soft skills, we put it aside and say, okay, these are just soft skills without recognizing they are all should be part of the same bucket of things that we take as a society with us. And do you think, um, this is going back to the leadership element, and I want to touch more on the soft skills as well, but do you think leadership is a, a skill that you can learn or is it something that is natural? Because I, 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 I've seen some people who just don't have it to be a manager and, <laughs> and then there's others who just naturally can do it. It's a very important aspect. There is not a one size fit all at all. So there are some people that, um, based on who um, their own natural makeup, can learn, you know, can absorb the leadership skills, and then they will get, become very good at it. And there are some people, even if you are naturally born with it, it's important to also train because your environment we really, uh, that, that adaptation is really important. You know, you can be um, 
naturally gifted, but still you need that aspect. You know, there's this epigenicity that obviously your environment detects, you know, sometimes um, how you respond to, to, to your natural tendencies. So you have to align that. So then that training may be so helpful that we are able to be exposed to the training. So it's, 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 it's not a one, I, I wouldn't say it's a one uh, aspect of it in which it's natural. There's also an aspect of being trained in, in for you to be a, a leader. And there are some people, they may not be a good uh, leaders, but they are still successful. And so it's very complicated things because you might think like, wow, this individual is so successful, but in, and they are not able to articulate the ideas. They are not able to be inspiring individuals, but they are still successful. So we go back to how you define a leader. Is it in terms of success? Is it in terms of uh, what they've been able to achieve? Is it in terms of you know the number of people that is under their umbrella? So it's an interesting aspect. And, and what advice would you give a young person who maybe has identified or has been told that they have natural leadership skills and they want to uh, develop that? What, what things can they do? So we mentioned, obviously, you spoke about empathy and the use of empathy, which is, I think, is a key for me anyway, because you're dealing with other human beings. The, the number one key, I will tell you, be humble. It's so, so important. Just because you've been told you're going to be this, you're going to be that, if that really gets over your head, you're going to find yourself in trouble very quickly. <laughs> so why it's so important to be humble? Short that you will go back internally and build, build principles, build yourself to be, so that you can be so strong and rugged. And when you assume that leadership position that you've always been told that you're going to be, you will have a lot of very good foundation. So if you don't allow yourself to go back, you might just want to take that and run, and you might be unprepared for the challenges that may come your way as a leader. There is no way you're not going to have challenges. In fact, because you're a leader, you got to be uh, prepared not to be reactionary. And, and that doesn't just go with a snap of your finger. It takes time for you to align that with who you are. So that will be uh, a key aspect that I will stress. You know, be humble, um, open your mind uh, to learn more of what is outside, but also yourself. Work on yourself as much as you are able to. Um, I want to get some clarity because I think we hear it a lot about being humble, be humble. What is being humble? What is humility? Because it's a fine line between, you know, the imposter syndrome that we have when we get into places and we're like, I don't deserve to be here. Is that humility? Or is it um, being humble? Is it just being aware of the greatness of that is before you and just, you know, going in on the open mind. What is, what is it? Excellent. That's, I'm so happy you make, you bring this up because it's, it's important. To be humble 
doesn't mean I don't deserve to be here. I deserve to be here. I deserve to be where I am because that's where, because the universe <laughs> have kept me alive. And so I have the right to exist. Um, I, have, I have the right to be where I am. But it's just recognizing that um, not everyone may understand my position if I am too, too um, flamboyant with my ideas. You know, there are some people that are going to be torn up. And so I, I just need to tune it based on my environment, based on who I am interacting with. Again, just recognizing that signal, because if I'm way off, I may not be able to connect and relate with them. So that's 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 the yeah the humility comes in is to be able to say yes I have all of this I could really speak to things in a way that is so high level if I want to but will my audience or the people that I'm speaking with will they understand it so just having that humility and coming back and say okay I'm gonna um, align it in the wavelength that can really uh, speak to them better. Um, Is that part of humility I was referring to? And also the other part of humility is to recognize no matter how much I may have learned, there's way, way vast amount of information that I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) There's so much vast (laughs) amount of information I don't know. Uh... It's so, so, so important. No matter what I think I may have known, you remember also the science data is there. We are told that um, just about 5% of all of what um, we see or have observed, 95% or so is, we have zero idea. We don't know what dark energy is. We don't know what dark matter is. So I think about those things and apply it also in my own personal life and say, okay, I have this knowledge in chemistry. I have this knowledge in drug discovery. There's so much of, of, you know, Articles I've written, you know, there are obviously books in my mind that I think I should be writing in the future. I just need to put that into perspective that it's really minute compared to the amount of untapped knowledge and wisdom that is out there. And so giving myself that room to expand that wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And just like I have also benefited from just listening to you both, I have learned a lot and it's just uh, incredible how much knowledge you have also picked up from you. So it's, it's, it's just no matter which environment you are, just open your mind that, you know, you can learn from people. There is so much you have achieved that I can benefit from. I have benefited from today, actually, in speaking with you guys, with, with, with both of you. So that's the kind of humility that I'm, I'm, I'm referring to and not just making yourself to be, um, irrelevant no okay thank you for that clarity i think it's something that we don't expand on enough you're told to be humble i'm christian so there's definitely a biblical interpretation of that but in terms of the workspace um i think it's it's a it's a very fine line to be to keep yourself relevant like you said and to keep telling yourself i deserve to be here and not feel guilty that you shouldn't feel that way. So I'm glad that there's some clarity, especially for me on that. So I'm conscious of time. Um, 
But there's one key question that I really had that um, when I was looking at your LinkedIn and I was I was taking a look and I was like, oh, like the way you did your uh, about me section was slightly different to what I've seen. And I liked the use of, mm. of the word um, value proposition. Mm-hmm. And it really intrigued me. And I was like, wow, like you've really taken a step back and looked at not just saying what you've achieved, but essentially what can I bring to you? And just having the conversation with you today uh, on your journey and um, your key principles and the thing and the fundamental things that you that you think about um, as going into the workplace. What made you look at things like that in terms of being able to so it, it's you split what you've done is you split into four sections um three key ones i think was um the value proposition then the summary and then your leadership highlights because essentially those are the key things that people would actually look for when speaking to you and trying to identify who you are and what you can do for them or maybe what they can do for you so how did you decide to approach it that way and why was it quite intentional or is it something that you just thought oh let me do it this way um it it, it's i think it wasn't quite intentional it's something that's really with time matured and then um, began to uh, frame itself that way because it i really struggle at certain point on how i could translate all of you know my experiences because i did not know it was beneficial that was something that made that you know if i knew back in africa all of these interactions that i was having was useful I would have been very purposeful taking notes and, you know, taking that. But I had no idea. I had zero idea that it was going to be useful. So, so there was a t- there was certain point I began to look back. So, you know, there are things that were happening. I see people struggling, you know, with these fundamental principles. And then for me, it was like, wait. This is so obvious. What? Why? What is? Why is taxing? What is happening here? This is this is so obvious. And people also were pointing these things out to me and say, "Robert, this is this is incredible." You know, they were talking about these things, and then I started taking notes and say, "Okay, now how will I be able to make this available and 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 talk about it and speak about it?" So that was how I started you know, building that framework and turning it in, into that way, in, in that way. And knowing that people have a lot of knowledge already. They are so educated. They have a lot of principles, but sometimes there's this disconnect. So it's like, how will I uh, help them, you know, get those connections in, in their own mind, knowing that they already have a lot they have acquired already, so uh, it's a, it's a way to to connect with um, my 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 f- um, fellow managers or, or or people that I'm coaching or people that I'm interacting. It was a, a way for for us to interact better. Yeah, so, yeah I really, yeah, I really liked it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you. And I, and I think, like you said, like it's. Um... Again, we only know 5% really. So is it, but then you think about, so like even there's certain 
times when I have conversations with people at work. And because I've decided to specialize in a specific area, so I specialize in the IT procurement. So a lot of people think that's all I know. And it's only when I start having conversations with people and then I'm like, oh no, but I've done this and I've done this. And I also do this outside and da, 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 um, that they realize that, oh no, there's more to this picture than, oh, she just specializes in this area. So I think if you can recognize what you can bring to somebody else. And like you said in the beginning about you want to go in leaving someone better than they came in as, um, or leaving a situation better than it than you started. Um, and I think that goes to your description about the value proposition and, and the, the fundamental aspect of that and how you decided to approach that. So thank you for sharing. Thank you too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting. If we know the value we have, sometimes it's like, oh man, I should That's have- That's the hardest thing to, <laughs> yes. to identify and, and articulate, I think. Yeah. Very difficult, you know, because uh, if you don't art articulate it properly, people might think um, you, you are just, <laughs> just, one, trick just... <laughs> one trick pony. <laughs> You're here for one thing and one thing only. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it can be challenging really to, to do. I get it. <laughs> so thank you very much. Gumbo, did you have a question? Are you good? I don't have any more questions. Just a lot of gratitude for availing your time yes. to share this wisdom. At 5 a.m. in the morning as well. <laughs> yes, mind you. And reaching out, um, I think it is quite serendipitous. And I appreciate that we were able to have this discussion and connect the dots um, on so many different things. And your book, it's available on Amazon? Correct. Okay, so we'll have a, a look at that, and I think we'll we'll add it to our reading lists definitely. Yeah, it's called. So the thank act, you so much. It's called the act of yeah. solving interpersonal problems. Correct. So you can only imagine. What's in there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an act. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There's but, work but to be done. And we, <laughs> definitely, and we all definitely have um, interpersonal problems. So very relevant. Um, so thank you so much. That is it for today. Thank you for joining us and hope that you have enjoyed hearing how creating a space for yourself is mostly never a straight road, but always something you can control. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share us with your friends. If you're an Apple podcast, leave us a review and join in on the conversation using the hashtag YourSpacePod. Also, feel free to email us at info at yourspaceafrica.com. At